So anyways, I fall asleep and I'm dreaming about fried chicken, right? I'm dreaming about fried chicken and I wake up and I look and my whole row is eating fried chicken. And I go, where did you guys get that? And she's like, we pack it, baby. You want some? Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief with your friends here at Sandals Church. I'm your pal, Justin Party, hanging out with my pals. Stephanie Keen. Did you forget who you were temporarily? I, wasn't, I didn't know we were pals. It just, well, <clears throat> Sorry. That's all right. After the way I treated you yeah. last what week. What episode number is this? This is episode 57. I feel like Stephanie should know by now that, we're that she announces her presence second. Yeah. I think she's just holding a grudge for me. I am. From last week yeah. when I said that we technically could just put anybody in her spot. Yeah. Ooh. So, fair enough. Yeah. Well, you keep I'll missing your you now, cue. But... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it happened. changes every time, so I never know. If you've said She's my name before. She's proven the point. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, I'm PMB praying for these two. <laughs> yes, we got Pastor Matt here in the corner, so we are going to get into it in just a second. On the debrief here, we bring... Uh... Real answers to tough questions from the Bible. Exactly. Good, Good, Good job. Yeah. Good job. I'm she, here to, she I'm to help you, even though you clearly want to throw me under the bus. <laughs> well done. Well done. Yeah, before we get into that, we're going to debrief some sermons. We actually had Claude Hickman preaching the second week of our relationship, third week of our relationship toolkit, <laughs> one of the weeks of our relationship <laughs> toolkit series yep, uh, that we hipster. followed up. But we're also going through different types of relationship challenges. So today, in addition to some debriefing from the sermon, in addition to some off-topic question, we are also talking about parenting that is Whoa. right. Because it's hard. So we got a lot of good questions yeah. coming from all of there. So. We have so many good questions. Like yeah, people think, flooded us with questions this weekend. It's I think there was so great. even profanity, profanity laced questions. Yeah. Well, it's, it's got a letter. It's yeah. just got the letter. It was mm. it was a censored version of profanity, but as it far got as the profanity point goes, it is it's definitely the mm. the letter yes. of letters. So mm. uh, we're excited to get to that question. Uh, next week up, though, we're going to be talking about. Friendships. That's right, because so, those are hard. Friendships are hard. So if you have questions about friend, navigating friendships in any form, we'll, we would love to hear your questions on that. We've also got an episode coming up on coworkers as well. So we would love to hear your questions on friendships, on coworkers, on any relationship in general. We would love to get those on the show for the next couple of weeks. I would love to hear some advice about dealing with coworkers. That'd be mm. great. Yeah. If you want to send it us, send some advice for us here on the show. We'll take that mm-hmm. as well. All right, let's jump into it. The question time. It's question time. We should get a little theme song. It's question time. It's question time. Da, 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 da. Yeah, you, question time. Your kids, you are, just... your kids are way too little and it's invading every aspect of your brain. <laughs> you could just do that every time though. That was, I remember that was when fun. I was had kids your age, I was like hanging out with a bunch of buddies and we were hanging out having a beer and I go, hey guys, I have to go potty. And they all looked at me and I'm all, oh. <laughs> Like you can't be out with a beer with your bros and go potty. And use the word potty. Yeah. When somebody comes back from the, one of the guys comes back to sit down at the table, did you wipe and flush? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah, and your buddy just <laughs> just turns around. <laughs> well, we got some off-topic questions before we get into debriefing it. This first one comes in from Anonymous. Whoa, those are dangerous. Yep. They are. Uh, so this question says, it really bothers me when someone says when someone dies, heaven gate another angel or my angel baby when someone has a miscarriage. It's my understanding that angels are all already created and very powerful, great and overwhelming beings. What are your thoughts when you see people say things like that? Yeah, well, okay. So here's the challenge is um, everybody experiences death. Not everybody is a Christian. Okay, so so we have two we have two huge categories here of everybody experiences death and has to process it in a way that makes sense to them because mm-hmm. the reality is, Death is a final event. 
it is tragic forever and people experience loss. And so what they do is they try to cope with whatever understanding, be it uh, specific, you know, Buddhist, uh, Muslim, Christian, or kind of vague in general, which is where most people fall into. And so I would just say, you need to stop being frustrated. That's a you problem. That's not a them problem. And just embrace people where they are because although death is a terribly, terribly negative and terrible thing, it is a positive thing in that it allows us to talk about what we believe and why we have hope. And the Bible is very, very clear that we need to always be ready to tell those Mm -hmm about the hope that we have. And so here's the beauty of Christianity. Christianity, like no other religion, speaks to the issue of death. So Buddhism doesn't really speak to the issue of death. Uh, and when I mean that, I mean, it doesn't. it's not specifically targeted around the issue. Christianity is unique in that it is, it is completely revolving around this issue of resurrection. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That makes him distinct from uh, Muhammad. It makes him distinct from the understanding of Allah. distinct from the understanding of Vishnu, Hinduism, and all these other religions, we worship a guy who rose from the dead. He was literally, physically dead. Mm -hmm. Three days later, rose in bodily form from the dead. So it's an opportunity for us as Christians to explain why we grieve, but according to Thessalonians, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Mm-hmm. So you have to give grace to people. And so here's the reality is we, we we live in kind of a hallmark version of Christianity. So people know very, very little about the Bible. And this is so epidemic in our culture. Think about this. Hospitals now are federally mandated to hire chaplains. Why is that? Because nobody goes to church anymore, mm-hmm. but everybody dies and people still need to process this. And doctors and nurses, and we appreciate what they do. They are not trained to deal with the afterlife. You know, they're, they're not trained to, to deal with that. And so they might specifically have faith, but they're not trained in, to deal with that. And so because there's this huge vacuum that, you know, in, in our lives as Americans where Christianity used to sit very, very uh, neatly, and I think appropriately, people don't know what to believe. And so people are kind of trying to make it up as they go. And here's the thing, man, it is so, so hard to have faith when you need it. Mm-hmm. Faith is something you want to build when you don't, you know, I mean, we always need faith, but you know, it's, it's not, God's not something that you want to run to in an emergency. I mean, for most people, people think about God like nine one one, you know, and that's just not the way that it works. And so, you know, the way my faith is working, because one day, one of two things is going to happen. I'm going to die. My wife's going to die. One of us is going to go first. I mean, it could, in a very, very rare chance we go together, but that's probably, so one of us is going to have to mourn the loss of the other. I don't want to wait until that happens to have a deep, vibrant faith with God. I want to be working with that so that I can be prepared, as prepared as I can possibly be for that moment if she goes, or my hope is that she will have a deep, vibrant faith so that when I go, she can handle that. Or God forbid, you know, we lose a kid. I have two um, uh, pastor friends, Pastor Greg Glory and Pastor Rick Warren. They both lost children, their sons. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've watched them go through that. And so we all have to deal with this, whether we're Christian or not Christian. So we need to be prepared beforehand. So I would just say this, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious as to what you believe, learn to ask good questions, and then just say this, well, the teaching of scripture is that angels are angels and people are people. I mean, saying someone has turned into an angel, it's as silly as saying they became a Care Bear. Well, that's not true because Care Bears aren't real. Or as they became a, they became a, a, a lion, you know, or uh, they became a giraffe or they became, you know, a, a wild goose or something like that. We don't become angels. Angels don't become us. We are separate species. 
Um, we are created by God, but we're, we're distinct. We're, we're separate. We're not the same. We don't become them and they don't become us. And so, you know, despite all these movies about angels wanting to be with us and us wanting to earn our wings, I mean, that stuff is just silly folklore that's really more rooted in American kind of spiritualism that's separate from the church than anything that's real. And so that's just where most people are. Um, but, you know, people, here, here's what I've learned. People are trying to say something to comfort you, but usually what it does is it confuses and frustrates people. And so right. what I've learned to do when people are grieving is I just try to sit there and not act like I have all the answers and just try to be there with them. Because um, the ultimate answer is I don't know why. I mean, God doesn't inform me. You know, he doesn't have a press secretary that's like, hey, someone should tell Matt Brown why I did this. I mean, that's what it means to worship God. Mm -hmm. He's God, I'm not. And right. so I have to sit in that and accept that. So I would just really ask you to let God deal with your heart and, and just don't be so critical of people who don't have the information. And, um, you know, that's one of the ways that we, you know, kind of become prideful in our faith is when we judge others for their lack of information. And what we need to do is humble ourselves and be grateful that God um, has enlightened us to this and hope and pray that we would have an opportunity to help somebody else become awake, which is the language of becoming born again. You know, arise, O sleeper, awake from the dead. That's what Ephesians says. And so we need to learn to, you know, really, really be careful about how we speak in those ways. And just, you know, and again, um, even if a Christian says something stupid, just because a Christian says it doesn't mean it's biblical. I mean, mm -hmm. I hear Christians say stupid things all the time. And that's why we uh, make fun of it at the end of the show every every time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So great question. I'll be praying for you. Um, and, you know, we, we need to not be frustrated with people. We need to be thankful that God is not frustrated with us, but loves us and gives us grace. And so um, in those moments, I would encourage you to be self-focused in this way. Why look at the speck in your brother's eye when there's a log in your own eye? First, rid yourself of your log. And so what would that be in this case? You know, judgmentalism, um, you know, a critical spirit, um, you know, something I don't know. And, and then try to ask God for the opportunity to help your brother with the speck that's in their eye. Um, but, you know, when I'm sitting with somebody and they've lost a child, you know, I don't, I'm not there to correct every single theological thing that they say. Sure. Uh, I'm there to love them and hopefully get them to a place where they're ready to consider Jesus. And that's that's my hope is, is I don't try to come in with a heavy sales pitch in those moments. I think it's not appropriate unless they ask. And if they ask, then absolutely, I'd love to talk to you about that. But, um, you know, so that's my thoughts on it. Well, there you go. All right, we've got one more anonymous off-topic question. So should be a good one. It is. So Pastor Matt, you said a few weeks ago that you wouldn't attend a homosexual wedding ceremony because you don't agree with it. So this person wrote in and said, I have several friends or family members who have had babies out of marriage. Would you say the same for attending a baby shower? Or what about a marriage where one person is Christian and the other is not? Yeah, so I, I don't think that I would equate those two together at all. Every baby is a celebration. Mm -hmm. Every baby. I mean, I, I would go to a birthday party for a gay couple who had, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that was celebrating their child. I think that that's a great thing. It's a beautiful thing. Um, I, there's nothing wrong with me celebrating the, the life and blessing of a child. I think that's a great thing. A wedding ceremony, however, is a, in my understanding, it is a religious event. It is a worship service. That is how I understand it. Birthday parties are not worship services or um, what, what was it specifically? Baby shower. So the baby mm -hmm. hasn't been born yet, but the anticipation of the baby being born. You know, I think that's a cultural thing that we do and it's cute and it's fun. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So um, I, I, don't, I don't equate those two in any way, shape, or form. I think those are two different things. And we need to be really, really careful that we take my opinion on gay marriages, which, you know, there's going to be people at Sandals Church that have different opinions. 
Um, and that's fine. They're entitled to be wrong. So, um, no, I'm kidding. Um, you know, they're entitled to do that. We're not a cult. You get to pray and be led by the Holy Spirit, what, what God's called you to do. And so for me, that's something that, that I believe in. And, um, I agree that with, I think, what was the second part of the question with, uh, or a marriage where one person is Christian and, and the other is not. Yeah. I think that's a huge problem. And I, I think there she is right on. I'm saying she, I, it's anonymous unless mm-hmm. her name is Annie Moss. Um, <laughs> Uh, I think, thank you. I thought that was funny too. Elena Kunkel, ladies and gentlemen. Laughter in the background. Laughter in the background. <laughs> Bam. So, um, yeah, I, I think that that's a huge issue and as more Christians should have a problem with that. And, and again, mm-hmm. you are validating that marriage. And if you have a Christian who is marrying a non-Christian, that's a challenge and it's a problem. And it's actually being, it's spoken against in the Bible. You should not be unequally yoked. You know, what can a person who is united with God have with someone who is not united? I mean, you're asking, you know, God to enter a union that he is being rejected from on one part. And so we need to be very, very careful. And just so you know, this is a huge issue in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. It's the issue of intermarriage. So marrying outside of the religion of Judaism. And it is it is extremely frowned upon and it is looked upon in an, in an, it just, it is looked as an egregious sin. And so one of the greatest characters, uh, persons in the Old Testament is a guy by the name of Solomon. And Solomon married uh, foreign wives, women of other faiths. And so it, I mean, ultimately, if you look at his life, it's what destroyed him and brought him down. And so he is constantly used as an example of you know, you shouldn't do that. So women didn't have as many rights back in those days. So they weren't intermarrying, um, you know, unless their dad made them do that. But men would look outside of the Jewish faith and look to another faith. And that was considered something that we should not do. And so um, as Christians, you know, you need to, you need to trust God. God knows what's best. And so I would say only date Christians. Now, if you're married to a non-Christian, you've made a union. The same guy who says, don't marry non-Christian says, stay with the person as the apostle Paul, same guy, (laughs) same guy, the apostle Paul wrote half the New Testament. He says, stay in your marriage and continue to pray and the Holy Spirit will sanctify the union based upon your prayers and your commitment and your loyalty to him. So if you're married to a non-Christian, trust God in that process. If you're dating, do not sin and date a non-Christian. Don't do it. And so, um, you know, again, like I've said before, um, I, I think that there are um, heterosexual marriages that I would not attend. If I don't agree, I can't attend. And uh, and that makes things very, very difficult for family members because oftentimes we are obligated as family members or we feel obligated to participate. And uh, that's something that you have to prayerfully consider and ask if God is, you know, calling you to not participate. So great, great question, Annie Moss. Appreciate you. <laughs> okay, I uh, we got a follow-up question from your sermon two weeks ago on anger with the relationship of Cain and Abel. I'm looking at the sermon notes here on the uh, Sandals Church iPhone app. In Genesis chapter 4, 13, 14, say this, when Cain is being banished by the Lord, Cain replies, my punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. So St- Stacy, Rebecca, Joshua, Beth, and I think many, many more people mm-hmm. wrote in and basically all asked the same question. When Cain was banished, who was he afraid of that he thought would kill him that was alive at the time? Who else was out there? Yeah, so that's actually a really, really loaded section of the text. It's really, really difficult. So let me start off um, because she didn't ask some great questions that were there in that text. So it's really, really difficult to understand, you know, is Cain sorrowful or not? The text is really difficult. Was he remorseful? Because the English translation really kind of seems like he's not sorry at all. He's just worried about the form of the punishment. And so it's really, really hard to tell. 
So um, it says that he will receive a mark, um, some kind of mark on him that will identify him from other people. We don't know what this is. I don't believe it's an ethnic mark or any kind of skin coloring or anything like that. We don't know what it was. It was some kind of signifying mark that let everybody else know, hey, don't mess with him. Mm -hmm. So her question was, who are these other people? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have no idea. Got it. Who else? It's not his other brothers? We have no idea. Okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, right. If you take the literal approach that Adam and Eve were two two people and they were the only two people on earth. And so here's what I would say is this makes it abundantly clear that the Bible is not telling us about everybody. Mm-hmm. And so when people say, well, I think you have, you hold an unbiblical position because you don't believe it was literally an Adam and Eve and then, you know, Cain and Abel and then Seth, I think right there in Genesis chapter four, it tells them that I'm biblical that my position is correct. We don't know about everyone. And it doesn't tell us about every single person that was okay. created. It is taking a, a narrative position from two individuals and it's telling the story of their family and what happened. And I think, again, when we go back to that, Genesis is about is our story. It's not Adam and Eve's story. It's not history like, well, this is what Adam did, this is what Eve did. It's our story. It's why are we where we are? Why do we die? Why do we feel shame? Why do we feel separate from God? It's our story, and so it's telling us. Um, and again, the name Adam means, you know, Adam, mankind. It's 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 what his name means. Eve, the mother of all. You know, um, that's what their names mean. And so you have to see the symbolism in there. And so I think Genesis four is telling us this is not the whole story. Mm-hmm. So the point is not to tell us every detail. So like people ask me, you know, this question: Well, who are these people? I said, Well, what color were Adam and Eve's eyes? Do you, do you know? Yeah, I don't know. But the Bible doesn't tell us. Hmm. And so this is what we do as Christians. This is what drives me freaking crazy is Christians try to answer questions the Bible doesn't answer. Mm-hmm. And it's because we're not trying to deal with the problem. And the problem is, is look, this is what sin progresses. In, in this fourth chapter of Genesis, what happens when we sin? John tells us this. Sin in the end always leads to death. So the first thing that died was uh, their sense of self, their sense of, of beauty, right? That's the first thing that died. They felt shame and naked, right? So so they're- Covering up. Yeah, so they began to cover up. Their, their relationship with God died, their intimacy. What was once comforting is now terrifying. And now what's died is the actual relationships amongst their brothers. They're, they're killing one, one's killing the other. And so this is, you know, where we have it. And so I think, you know, what, what Genesis 4 is trying to answer is where does war come from? Not from God, mm. but from our own inadequacy, our own jealousy, our own envy, and our own anger. And um, that's why. So yeah, we, we don't know. And and again, that's why I stress, you know, what was the mark? We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. It could have told us, you know, he painted a white cross on their foreheads. It doesn't say that. It says there was a mark on them that God put for protection to identify them from the rest of the people that seem to be numerous because he's afraid of no matter which direction he goes, mm-hmm. there are going to be people. Um, and and it's going to be a terrifying thing, and they will kill him. And why is that? And this is huge for us as individualistic Americans. God's will is not for you to do your own thing for your whole life. You were designed to be in relationship with God and relationship with community. What does Cain lose? Both. He loses relationship with God. He is outside. He is east of Eden. Yep. He's outside of God's will. And he is outside the protective governance of God's people. Adam, Eve, and eventually Seth, right? The line of God, the, the line of the faithful people. And so 
Um, when, and the reason we need to understand this is, is when we read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, it's called the Pentateuch, um, we need to realize uh, that it's we are to interpret everything, we're to interpret Genesis based upon those five books. So what happens to the non-believer in the other books? They're banished. They're kicked out. Mm-hmm. Um, of the well, land? Like of the, the promised land? Of, well, they're kicked out of the presence of, of the people. They're to be banished. And mm-hmm. so we see that. You know, they're they're to have nothing to do with them. So there's isolation is a form of cutting off, you know, from the community. And it's a symbol of you've been cut off from God. It's also interesting here, though, that Cain goes and establishes the first city, which we also see in the first five books. They're called a city of refuge. Mm-hmm. And so when, you know, you may have killed somebody or you just stumbled across a dead body to prevent kind of vigilantism and somebody striking back and killing you, you can run to this city of refuge until the elders are able to look at the facts and decide, you know, what, what was the truth or not truth. And so it's interesting all the way, you know, back in Genesis 4, we see that this understanding of kind of due process. Mm-hmm. You, you, we, need to, we need to take time. We need to emotionally cool down and then investigate and find out what happens. And so Cain really, in my opinion, is the first city of refuge. And that's what he creates, a city. He has to build a protective wall. Why? Because war has now been invented mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. things are very, very dangerous now because now we know that we can, in fact, kill each other. Right. So. Well, hey, as you've been talking about how to understand Genesis, we've been recommending that book by Dr. Salehammer. Uh, that book's called Genesis Unbound or mm-hmm. Uncovered, something like that. Anyways, Spencer wrote in on our Facebook page. It, that book is now back in print and on Amazon. It's only 17 bucks. So mm-hmm. if you've been wanting to buy that book, but you've been turned off when Pastor Matt says it's like 250 bucks, good news, you can buy a copy for... Only seventeen. I know bucks. some uh, somebody texted me and said, "Oh, I bought it on uh, Kindle for six dollars." Oh, even better. Oh, nice. I was like, mm. "Then you're not ruining paper," which is... I don't think books are ruining paper. I think that's a mm. that's an overstatement. You know what? That was a good. That was a very wise, educated statement that you just made there. Thank you. Wow, that was nice. It's just genuine. All right, you ready to talk about how but hard it was parenting also is? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> just came from where my heart is, guys. You want to talk about how hard parenting is? Yes. Let's do it. We got, it, this is what's great is we get to talk about how hard parenting is with other people's kids. So here we go. This one is from Melissa and Ernie. In your message on anger, Pastor Matt, you talked about discipleship, but not doing, oh, excuse me. You talked about disciplining, but not doing it when you're angry. She says, my husband and I both have such a hard time with this because our kids are four and two. It's kind of hard to compose ourselves and walk away from melting down toddlers. How can we get our point across in the moment without being angry or upset? Yeah. So, Okay what I was preaching on was the ideal. And then there's a thing called reality and mm-hmm. every parent is going to be angry. My point was, you know, don't abuse your kids. That's what I'm saying is now I, I do believe that a toddler melting down should be dealt with. I can't stand parents who walk away and pretend it's not happening. And we all have to sit there and deal with your moron kid, deal with your kid, handle your kid. Um, you know, I watch parents, you know, the, the two-year-old is smacking the parent in the face and punching them in the face. And I'm just like, that is not good parenting. I don't know what that is. Um, you know, and Americans, we're getting worse and worse at parenting. You know, if you're a millennial, what age group are millennials? 18 to what? 18 to 34. They're now saying that they have, were raised by the worst parents in American history. And part of that is Sorry, because- Mom. Part of that is because they were never told no. Mm-hmm. They never received boundaries. They were told they were the most special kid on earth. And then guess what? <laughs> you weren't. Um, you know, you got to go to work just like everybody else. Don't tell me that. Right. Sorry. I'm turning off my headphones. So yeah, (laughs) you you need to, you need to discipline your kid. Um, 
you know, I, I deal with my kids right then, right there. The thing is, I don't want to hurt them and abuse them, but I want my kids to know, you know, when we're in a restaurant, I would tell my kids this all the time, nobody paid money to, to hear you scream. So you have, you have two choices. You can stop screaming or I can take you either to the bathroom or to the car. And my kids know I meant, I meant business. Yeah. And if I miss out on my meal, you're going to feel me. <laughs> so, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it in anger. And so what that usually means as parents is we need to be quick. So get to them before you lose it. Because a lot of times what we do is we're ignoring them and we're ignoring their behavior and we need to deal with it quickly. And every child is different, man. Some kids are easier and some kids are nuts, man. You know, and uh, you just, right, whatever kid came out, God gave you and you got to deal with that kid. And, and um, you know, let me, let me just say this. Uh, or I'm going to say this in a couple of weeks. So sound, you know, impressed then. But I think raising Raising kids, you should not, your goal should not be to raise them as equals. Your goal should be to raise them as individuals. Mm -hmm. And um, because you need to address and deal with each kid differently. Some kids will only respond to a spanking. A lot of kids don't need spanking. So you got all these parents running around saying, well, I don't spank my kids. Well, maybe you were blessed with kids that don't need a physical reminder. Some kids need a physical reminder. And, you know, that's just the way that it is. And so my kids were all very, very different. And, um, you know, we were blessed with kids that genuinely, generally, not genuinely, generally, you know, uh, when I said stop, stopped. And, um, and when I said obey, you know, they needed, they, they obeyed, but every now and then, um, you know, one kid would push the limits more than the other, but some parents have really, really tough, difficult, defiant kids, and you must meet them at their level of intensity. And I just, I just believe that some kids need a physical authority. And by that, I mean, physical presence, and you got to be that. And, you know, you got all these other parents raising future librarians looking at you, you know, judging you. It's like, look, man, maybe, maybe your kid is going to be a linebacker for, you know, the Rams when they, they are not terrible. Yeah, the right, right, So right. guess what? You're not raising a librarian. You're raising someone that's going to crush people. So you need to get ahead of that as quickly as possible. So what I would say is as quickly as possible, intervene, let them know who's boss, and if you're in a two-parent family, which I hope and pray that you are, but I realize many of you are not, the male must take the lead in discipline. I yeah. just believe that. Um, there is something about male presence in the home that is terrifying to children, <laughs> and they need that. Now, if you're a single mom, don't cry or crash into something right now. You got to be the dude. Um, you know. So just like if you're a single dad, you got to be the loving, caring mom too. And so there's more pressure on you, but you know, I don't believe that the woman should be the primary disciplinarian because um, my kids, they just wear my wife down. They just do. Yeah. And I come in and it's like the Hulk is unleashed. And all of a sudden, you know, and my wife always says, she says, well, I don't, I don't understand why they listen to you. I think that there is a God-given divine authority given to the man and kids get that. And, you know, we can have all this gender study crap at school, but the bottom line is, Guys are guys and girls are girls and we're different and that's okay. It's okay. It's right. Everybody just relax, drink your coffee, um, you know, go write a blog and vent your feelings right now. If you just think what I said is heresy, it's the truth. Boys are boys, girls are girls and that's okay. It's okay. It's everybody. Let's just hold hands. It's okay. We're all going to be okay. Um, it doesn't mean that men are better or, or women are worse. None of that. It just means we're different and we need to embrace that. And I am just telling you, my wife can literally ride my kids all day long and I can handle it in five minutes. Because they, they know, they know they're on the verge of death. They know it. <laughs> you know, and I don't mean that in an abusive call child protective services way. What I mean is dads 
have a unique way of dealing with things. But in the same way, my wife is, is so much better at listening and caring. And I, I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm going to give you 30 seconds. What do you need? And, and then we're going to move on and we're going to solve it. My wife wants to talk about your feelings and how did that make you feel? And, and, and we're just different and that's okay. And I think my, my parents, my kids need both and they need both of that from us. Um, and so I just would encourage guys, don't push it off on your wife because what women tend to do is everything. Mm-hmm. everything. And that's why they're exhausted, angry, and upset because you need to learn, you know, what, what can we do? And so sometimes the woman is the stronger person in the relationship. So you're going to have to encourage your husband, boyfriend, because some of you are not married, um, which is a whole nother topic. We could get to that, but um, oh, we will. Uh, y- you need to encourage them to be there. And, and I think what a woman can do is help temper the man in how he disciplines but, um, you know, because so you don't, you don't want to just lose your mind all the time. So I think God, right, in his wisdom, created a man and a woman differently to help complement each other, which is why I'm a complementarian. That's my theological perspective. Uh, I don't think it's chauvinist. I think it's biblical. He's called us to work together to do this together. And so, guys, you got to step up. Don't put it all on your wife. Be the disciplinarian and support her. And, um, and I think that's important. And once your kids know... What kids will try to do is divide and conquer. Once your kids know that they're dealing with a unified front, things will be very, very easy. So you got to, you know, if you're dating, where I know we're doing a dating episode, mm-hmm. why don't you talk about ch- bringing up kids? Do you believe in spanking? Do you not believe in spanking? I mean, have those conversations before you make out. That would be helpful because when you start making out, you get stupid. So have those conversations, you know. what? Did also, this- also record those conversations and then go back after you've been a parent for like five or six years and just, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But at least, I mean, at least try. I mean, Mm -hmm. people, you know, people are so impulsive in relationships. At least, I mean, this is the biggest decision of your life if you're single. Mm -hmm. So try, try to evaluate and see, okay, what, what does this look like, you know, and, and, and how are we going to move together on this? And what are we going to do if we disagree? What are we going to do if we change our minds? How are we going to navigate that in the future? Because my wife came from her family. I came from my family and they weren't the same families. We Mm -hmm. didn't know each other growing up. We had no idea. And here we are trying to raise a family, which thank God we had our faith, you know, together, but not our, our faith looked differently in our home. So, yeah. wow, that was a really long answer. That was good. And this next question from Lisa actually is like in that exact same vein. So Lisa wrote in and said, parenting is effing hard. Amen, sister. Uh, she says, how do you figure out the best approach and then get on the same page as your spouse? You know, this is what I would say is kids will win. They're going to win. If you're not on the same page, they will win you will lose. And by definition, your kids lose. Mm -hmm. The last thing you want is your kids to win because when they win, they'll lose in the long run. And, uh, and this is what's wrong with our society. We are raising kids that have never lost, have never been told no. They don't understand discipline. I want a new Balloompa. I'm thinking of a Veruca Salt. Sorry. Yeah. I love that movie. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. So, um, and that's the problem is, is that that personality is not dealt with. And, you know, your, your job as, a parent is twofold. One's to love your kid and let them know that God loves them and create them with a purpose. And the next is to let them know they're not the center of the universe. God is. Mm-hmm. And so, right, we don't worship children. We worship God. And God has mandated that parents exercise discipline over their children, which God does, by the way, to his children. And he loves us. He, and he always does it. Yeah. So what I would say is you, you, got, you, you got to say, you know, hopefully both mom and dad, um, even if you're divorced, separated, whatever, hopefully you both love the kids. So if you both love the kids and you can get over your egos and your own issues and your own insecurities, you can say, what's best for the kids? What's best for the kids is for us to be unified. Now, you're going to have differences. I mean, Tammy and I, um, 
We've had differences. We don't see everything eye to eye, but what we have to do is we have to try to find common ground and agree on as much as we possibly can for the sake of our family and our kids. And so you, you know, I, I got to listen to what she has to say. Um, and my wife needs to listen to what I have to say, and we got to make the best decision possible. And so, um, I think the thing that's the most helpful, uh, to getting on the same page is being consistent. I don't just need to be consistent for my kids. I need to be consistent for my wife. So my wife knows what I'm going to do, how I'm going to react. So, because what throws the family out of control is when someone's acting in a, in a way that no one understands or, or appreciates. That's why right. like alcoholism, you know, being drunk or a drug addict or having anger explosions, those things really wreck a household because every child, every family needs to feel safe. And so one of the things that creates security and stability is consistency. So I know if I do this, and that's why I discipline my kids. If you do this, you're choosing this. So it's not on me. You're choosing this consequence and try to be very, very clear up front with the kids, um, you know, uh, about the consequence. Now, here's where Tammy and I really struggle. My wife is uh, more emotional, we could say, when she disciplines. And so her consequences, always. I always struggled with the scale. So my wife would say, you're on restriction forever, right? <laughs> I'm like, okay, right? I mean, you know, and in the moment, because you know, you don't give a consequence you can't enforce. I'm like, so the kid's not watching TV for a month? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, how are you going to enforce that? So what I would say is make consequences severe, quick, and end them quickly. Because whenever somebody's in the penalty box for the family, it affects the whole family. Mm-hmm. So, right, so if if this person can't, can't watch a, a movie, then you can't have family movie night. So make sure you say, okay, you're on restriction from TV until this point, because you don't want to isolate them from the family. You want to make sure that you include, oh, that's at least my philosophy. You want to include them in that. And I don't want to experience life because really here's what I found. When I put my kids on restriction, I'm really putting myself on restriction because I want to do things with them. So I would rather the consequence be severe, quick, and, and to the point. And, um, you know, um, just really, really watch what you say and always do what you say. Kids are smart. If they know, well, they're going to blow it off and not follow through. So make the consequences, you know, as short as possible. And um, I would do that. So get on the same page and just know it's for your benefit. Husbands and wives, it is for your benefit and your child's benefit that you're on the same page. And ultimately, if you can't make it work, go to counseling. Mm -hmm. Spend some money. This is on you. You know, your kids need you to figure this out. So spend the money. You're like, oh, I don't have some money. Well, get rid of your $1,000 iPhone and your couple hundred dollar a month plan and go get some counseling. It drives me crazy. People are like, I don't have money for that. And they're you know, they're holding a computer on, on their phone that was more advanced than the first mission of, you know, the moon. I'm like, come on, you don't need this. So what you need is a healthy marriage. So that was a little rant there. Well, how do you get on the same page if uh, one of the spouses is is not a believer and the other one is? It's very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and again, you need to present the case. I think it's in the best interest that we're on the same page. And what that means is you're both going to have to compromise. You know, I think compromise is a Christian virtue. If you don't believe me, go to Acts 15. It was compromise. There are some things you can't compromise, and these things are difficult. Um, and the thing with kids is don't bust them for stupid stuff. You know, let them exercise their individuality. Um, mm-hmm. You know, let, let, let them do that. And yep. so, um, but but try to, my, my thing is, how do I guide them morally? Like, what what is the moral answer? What is the spiritual truth here? And when, when I've been able to anchor my kids in that, they self-police much better than me being the policeman. It lets God be the policeman in our life where they have a thing called conviction. So um, 
So what I would do is just sit down and just share with your spouse, hey, I love you. I know you love me. Here's some things that are really important to me. And would you support that? Um, man, I just, speaking of that, I, I'll just tell you, you know, I was talking with uh, actually a guy in staff at our church um, and his mother's Christian, goes to church, dad's not. And so we had this thing at Sandals called the Reach Campaign. And he was telling me this story about, you know, his dad makes all the money. Mom is a stay-at-home mom. So she works in the home. She doesn't have any money. And I thought this was such a cool story. So we're doing this Reach Campaign. We're trying to raise $5 million to build the, the current worship center at the Hunter Park that we're in now. It's a lot of money to raise. Mm-hmm. And she went to her husband. I thought this was great. She said, I really want to give to the Reach Campaign, but I know that you're the primary income earner. And he gave her a check for five grand. Wow. Hmm. He said, I, I, be, why? Not because he loves Jesus, but because he loves her. And he wanted her to be able to participate. And I thought, wow, what? You know, how amazing is that, that your non-believing husband right? That's a lot of money. Said, I want you to be able to participate in this. And um, I want to go hug the guy. I mean, it was an incredible story. And so if you're, if you're a, 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 the Christian, make sure that you honor and celebrate your spouse's willingness to support your faith, whether, you know, this was a monetary issue, but with your child rearing, I want our kids to go to church. So you need the support of your non-believing spouse for that to be a priority. And yep. you see, I need you to support me on that. Like, I, you know, I'm not your mother or I'm not your father, but I'm theirs. And so I want to lead them in this. Would you support me in that um, and, and make it a priority uh, for them? Because I believe it will ground the kids morally. And I mean, I think you can make a great case to a non-believer why kids need to be in church because they're learning bizarro stuff everywhere else. And so church is, I think, one of the last bastions of common sense uh, and spiritual guidance in the world today. So um, anyways, great question. Okay, so Melinda writes in, and we're going to totally take a little turn here. She asks, what do you do when Christians, specifically Christians you respect, try to teach your young children something you disagree with? Yeah, you got to stop that. Mm-hmm. And you got you don't be passive aggressive. You need to be really, really clear. I don't believe in that. Please don't teach that. Because um, what if what if a Christian person is a racist? Mm-hmm. Okay, what am I going to do if somebody's like, you know, people of this color are inferior? Okay, well, now now it's on. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm going to interject immediately. I mean, something like that. I would interject publicly. I mean, I would I would confront yep, it yep. right then, right there. Or like, or if someone told me, I believe it's okay for my uh, underage kids to drink alcohol. I mean, I, I'm going to say something right then, right there. Um, I don't care if you, you you have your you know, I'm crucified with Jesus T-shirt on or whatever, or your, um, you know, I love Jesus tattoo. I, I'm I'm going to speak up. And so here's what I found is Speak up. most parents, including Christian parents, write this down, are chickens. They're total chickens, right? You want to get a tattoo, get a tattoo of a Christian chicken on your body because that's what you are. That's the reality. And so here's what happened with my kids is I'm the only parent that would say no. And, and you know how many parents, because they're chickens for Jesus, oh, thank you so much for saying something. Look, if you, you know, don't have kids if you can't challenge and lead your kids. Don't have Oh, you them. mean in like your friend's circle, like your yeah. kid's friend circle? Yeah. Like, like the other parents? Re- yeah, they would be relieved that you were the one that said yeah, what they were totally thinking relieved all along. Because they want to be their kid's friend, not their kid's parent. Oh, gosh, yeah. And so I'm like, uh, uh, constantly, I'm like, no, no, no. My wife feels like that's my spiritual gift. No, mm-hmm. we're not doing that. And I, I'm, I thank God for that because I don't want to lose my kids. And so I, I, I interject immediately. Um, you know, sometimes... I've interjected at church. If I see a kid being disrespectful to their parents and it's at on our campus, I'm the spiritual leader of this church. Hey, don't speak to your parent that way. 
I don't care if the parent's okay with it. It's not okay. It's a bad example for all the other chicken parents that are sitting around <laughs> watching that take place. You know, and, and if the parent gets upset and they leave our church, fine. You know, go cluck at another church, right? <laughs> oh my I love gosh. these analogies. Oh my goodness. Yeah, but but that's not okay. That's not okay for a parent, for a child to tell off their parent on our church property or facility. Uh, you know, what do you do? Who, excuse me? You know, that's not okay. And so I, I would say this is, is just because someone calls themselves a Christian doesn't mean they are, right? It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't mean that you are. And so that's what's so crazy in our, in our culture today is you can believe you're anything and people are like, oh, you know, um, I'm an animal. I wear fursuits every day. Well, good for you. That's strange. Um, I'm offending everybody today. That's You're doing great. a pretty good job though. So, so yes, you need to immediately. And so here's the thing is as the authority, what I would do is I would pull the person aside and say, hey, I was really uncomfortable with what you shared with my kid. And so like, for example, let me, let's say an issue where maybe somebody's more strict than me on an issue of a movie. Okay. Yeah. So I always ask the other parent, are you okay if we see this movie? Because who's the spiritual authority of that house? Them. Them. And I need to submit as the lead pastor of this church to them and their authority. I'm not going to show a movie in my home if they're uncomfortable with it. Okay? And in the same way, I, I, I want another parent to do the same thing for me and have the same respect for me. And so, um, you know, and that's just, that's just the way that it is, you know? Um, so I don't just you know, expect it from others, I actually submit to it for myself for them. So I would I would pull them aside and say, hey, I was really uncomfortable with that. Because um, you don't want to embarrass them and cause a scene unless it's something just egregious and stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, like the racism comment or something yeah, like yeah. that. I mean, that, it's like, okay, we're leaving. You're an idiot. Goodbye. Um, and let your kid know that was not okay. And some adults are idiots. Okay. We still need to be respectful to them. We still need to be loving to them. But some adults are morons and, and you just have to deal with that. And just because you love Jesus doesn't mean you're smart so or, or that you have wisdom. And so you need to speak into that. And here's what I find. Most Christians don't read the Bible. They don't know anything. They don't know anything. And I'm like, where did you get that? And they got it from Oprah. You know, I'm like, what? Okay, you know, Oprah's nice, but not a follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, she's a self-proclaimed person that's made up her own religion. Well, that's great. I didn't make up my own. There's a guy who died for me on the cross. His name is Jesus. You know, that's who I'm following. So, um, you know, and you, and just so you know, you're going to have people like this at Sandals. They come to Sandals, they're in your small group, and they're knuckleheads. And so confront them privately. And if that doesn't work, get away from them. Get away from them. And you're like, oh, but they go to Sandals and it'll make things awkward. Sometimes awkward's good. Right? No, I was letting, uh, letting oh, the pause. Talking? I was letting the pause be awkward. Mm. Thought, thought it, it wasn't awkward. Good. It was actually made me inquisitive. Yeah, we were all like Ooh. waiting to see what was what was going to happen. Well, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to ask a tough question, mm. and then Pastor Matt's okay. going to give us a good answer. <laughs> okay, this one comes from Aaron. How do I handle being a step parent and trying to discipline my stepchild? I don't want to overstep my boundaries and be too strict, but at the same time, I don't want to be too lenient. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, if you're considering becoming a step parent, I would go to the library and read books. I I think parenting is the most difficult thing to do. I think being a step parent is even more challenging. Mm -hmm. It's just, I can't can't imagine having to raise kids in my home with an outsider having input. Mm -hmm. Specific legal 
real input. And that's what happens when you're a step-parent is you have kids in your home and you're not the final say on everything. And so that makes things very, very difficult. And you throw in there anger over divorce, separation, immaturity, stupidity, you know, all things that adults struggle with. It well, makes, and then all the other kid, the, the, the children's own traumatic experiences and relationships too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, challenging. So, you know, so I, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I hope that, um, uh, you know, Tammy and I are able to be married to a ripe old age and, um, you know, that we, we, I never had to be remarried or even have that as an option. But let's say something did happen to Tammy, I would be extraordinarily hesitant to become a stepdad. Mm-hmm. Because um, I think that those are real, real challenges that I don't know that um, I can navigate. Now, having said that, some of you guys have made those choices. You've fallen in love and you have blended families. Some people have great blended families and you're blessed and you just need to hug God today because that is awesome. And some of you have extraordinary challenges. And so here's what you have to do is you have to just, you have to, again, it goes back to your, your partner who's the biological parent of the kid, you have to say, here's what I'm comfortable with. Um, where are you on that? But you also have to have the support of the the uh, parent that's not in the picture because mm-hmm. you can't you can't do things without their support. And so, um, and again, it takes conversations about how do we do this together, and it's a really really difficult thing. But in the end, if you guys aren't in agreement, the kid loses. And so you got to get past your own emotions, your own immaturity. And you know, I've been a pastor at Sandals Church for 20 years. I've watched couples do get divorced and hate each other for 20 years. I've seen it. And their kids have suffered mm-hmm. horribly because they were unwilling to come to some kind of understanding. So um, what I would say is go to counseling as soon as you can with a counselor who specializes, a Christian counselor who specializes in blended families and work on that. If you can't afford that, get a book, read everything you can on the internet, um, You know, blog, do whatever it takes to try to figure that out because um, your kids need you. And, you know, a blended kid is feels just as weird about it as probably you do, probably more so. So you need to have special love and respect. And again, it goes back to the kid, right? Mm-hmm. Easy kids are easy kids, if they're if, whether they're blended or, you know, just normal traditional family. Easy kids are easy kids. Difficult kids are difficult. And if they're difficult and blended, right, that's a little spice for your burrito there. So it's going to be... <laughs> it's gonna be Difficult. So again, it goes back to talking to your spouse, getting on the same page, coming up with a plan, and doing the best that you can because you you need it and your kids need it. Boom. All right. So this next question comes from Jesse, and he asks, "How do I know when I'm being too hard on my kids?" You're assuming Jesse is a man. Do you know Jesse's a man? I thought Jesse was a girl. I think Jesse sent this in on Facebook and his profile. In from your recollection, okay, fair enough. One of my favorite songs from the '80s was Jesse's Girl. See? Oh, Man. okay. I was thinking. I was thinking. I got just Cowboy Jesse from Toy Story two programmed into my mind. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Jesse. Let's hear what you have to say as your male question. That didn't work. That was weird. Now, yeah. now I can't remember what the question is based upon either. your description does, of I Jesse. It. How I do I know it. when I'm being too hard on my kids? Yeah, it's tough, man. And you know, I think the the the, the more you love your kids, the 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 less hard you want to be. And it's tough, so man. True. Kids are kids are so special and they're such unique gifts from God. But you got to understand God loves us and he is hard on us because he loves us and he wants us to turn out. And I think, again, uh, I have to have a difficult conversation with one of my children today and it will not be good for them. Uh, I don't want to have it, but I need to have it because they're struggling, man. They're struggling 
and um, they need me to be harsh. And apparently I have not tapped into the correct level of harshness to communicate my point. So we're going to have to get creative. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think most healthy parents are not harsh enough. I think unhealthy parents are usually too harsh. So that's what I think. And so you have to gauge, Jesse, your own health and your own temperament and figure out where you are. Um, but again, you know, um, I don't know, you know, look, look, I, I think that, you know, punishment should be brief, right? They, they need to, they need to know they're in trouble. Um, you know, I'm not a big fan of you go be in timeout for five hours in your room when they're little, you know, it needs yeah. to be brief and they need to be back in your presence and need to know that grace is something that's always available. Um, sometimes, you know, again, I, I, I believe in spanking. Some people don't, that's fine. Um, but you know, you got to do whatever you got to do to keep your kid from being an idiot. That's got to be the driving force is, you know, just like I said, um, about anger, not all anger is sinful. What makes anger sinful is its motivation. So Jesus, right. He's being pretty harsh. He's, he made a whip, right? If you do this to your kid, you're going to be on CNN, right. Or in jail, (laughs) he made a whip and he drove uh, the merchants out of the temple. I mean, can you imagine getting hit by the son of God with a whip? I'm going to imagine that stung. Um, that's pretty harsh. But what motivated Jesus's anger was his love for sinners who didn't have a place to worship. And so what you need to do is say, okay, and again, this is assuming you're not crazy, Jesse, because crazy people, you know, uh, I had a friend of mine whose mom was um, a schizophrenic and she did horrific things to her children because she wanted to help them. So assuming you're not um, insane, right? You you can be your own self-evaluator here. Are you doing this because you love them? And and is love the primary driving force? And I think if you're remotely healthy, Jesse, you're always going to err um, on the side of the correct amount of harshness. And so for me, I have to push myself to be more harsh than I would normally be because that's not my personality type. It's not, it's not my personality type to, to be harsh, but I know I have to be that because I know what I needed as a kid. Mm-hmm. And there were some moments where, you know, it's funny, my dad has apologized to me a couple of times and, you know, he's, he said, you know, I'm sorry for maybe if I, you know, lost my temper or something like that. And he certainly lost his temper at times, but he was raising me. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, but I think there were moments where I needed my dad not to be physically harsh, but to be really, really clear to be crystal clear. And um, and again, like I said, in my sermon on anger, you can be calm and clear mm-hmm. and, uh, and let people know. And you have to assume that mantle of authority. I don't need to tap into sinful anger to discipline my children. Um, I, I can tap into the love of God and the authority that he's placed in me to deal with them. And I wanna tap into that. And I just tell my kids, I love you. I'm disappointed, I'm saddened, I'm grieved. I'm sorry you did this. I'm sorry that you have to face this consequence. Um, I'm sorry that this has created a gap in our relationship, but this is what sin does. This is what you've done. Uh, And then I'm quick to say, you know, um, especially with teenagers, because I'm always worried that teenagers are going to feel like they can do no right. I always am quick to follow up, but your mom and I still love you. We still believe in you. This consequence hurts, but we're still here for you. Um, because, um, I want them to know that no matter what they do, um, you know, I'm going to love them. I mean, even if they end up in prison for the rest of their life, I mean, they're an idiot, but I love them. 
Mm -hmm. You know, they're not just because they're behind bars doesn't mean they're separate from my love. It means they're behind bars. And so, um, my job though, hopefully is to keep them from doing that. So Jesse, I, I would just say this and I'm assuming you're a dude. I don't know that you are based upon your question. You're probably not. And so I would, I, I just, you know, feel led by the spirit to just say, be a little more commanding in, in terms of your presence and your authority. Um, but if you're concerned that you're abusive or you've, you've maybe you've exploded in anger, you got to learn to temper that and um, you got to learn to control that. And that's why I shared, I got to go cool off before I discipline my kids because, you know, I don't think real clearly when I'm the Hulk. Mm -hmm. So I got to, uh, um, I got to, I got to calm down and then go in and discipline. And, um, and, and that's, it's hard. It's hard to be a parent, but I tell you, what's harder than disciplining your kids is wishing, is, is knowing you should have and you didn't. And they're a total wreck mm -hmm. in life. And mm -hmm. I see yeah. that all the time. So, um, yeah. Pastor Matt, I don't know what you think about this. One of the lessons, big lessons I feel like I've had to learn on this specific topic over about the last nine or so months is that a lot of the times when I'm really upset with my children, really it has, comes down to like them inconveniencing me or cramping yeah. or something like that, which is not an issue. I, I have to figure out how to be real with myself when you're saying talking about motivations yeah. is, mm -hmm. is this about me or is it about them? And if it's something that they're doing, then that's a place where it's easier for me to step in. But I know that I've overstepped my bounds if it just came down to the fact that they were cramping my yeah. style or whatever. I would say that's probably my number one sin in parenting is not creating emotional, physical, and spiritual capacity for my kids. Hmm. So I come home wiped out and I don't have any capacity. And I would, I would include Tammy in that. Hmm. That, that that's, that's the number one sin of my life is that I need to create a category in my life where I have capacity uh, for emotional, spiritual, and physical support of my wife and kids. Because I, you, know, you pour out all day long, you're stressful. Many of us commute. Uh, we have all kinds of things to do. Um, we go to bed thinking about work. We get up thinking about work and we need to, you know, when's the last time you went to bed just thinking about your kids or you woke up thinking about your kids? You know, um, I'll just confess, um, you know, uh, Stephanie actually got to be a part of this conversation this morning, but I had a conversation with my 20 year old where I really felt like I wasn't available. Um, and I don't know what Stephanie would say about it because she was an uncomfortable, awkward witness to the conversation, but I was a common conversation with my 20 year old this morning and, um, I'd been out of town for a week and I just came back. And so I just shot her a text and I just said, hey, um, I'm sorry for my mood this morning. I don't feel like I gave you the appropriate amount of time and, and uh, that you needed and that I care to give. Is there any way that we can connect later tonight when I'm rested and more focused on you? Uh, I'm really sorry. I really care about you. Um, because my energy was low, I was already frustrated about what she wanted to talk about. And so I didn't have, I didn't feel like I had capacity in that Um uh, Stephanie and I were talking about uh, things that I needed to do today that I wasn't aware that I had to do today. So I was already in work mode. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things I've learned about my personality type, and I'm a three, and those uh, those of you who are at, at Sandals Church, we're going to be having those self-assessment tests. Threes really struggle creating um, pauses in their life for relational connection. And so what I think you're a three too, that's why mm -hmm. you're nodding your head. So what I do is when I when I think about work, when I'm in work mode, any disturbance um, is is as uh, an irritant. Mm -hmm. Anything. Um, so um, yeah. Or I'm in vacation mode. Stephanie sent me a text on vacation mode. Did you feel like I was irritated in my response? Mm, no, oh, I was. Were, I was irritated. You were. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, so sorry. Because I was in vacation mode. That's mm -hmm. the box that I was in, and she was asking me a question about work. And I think you even worded it like, 
hey, I'm really sorry. I yeah. have to ask you this, but yeah. So, yeah. so that's just my personality. So I have to create capacity. And so, and just so you know, this kids are a disturbance to your life. You know, I mean, this is, this is what every, you know, young girl says, oh, I just want to have a baby to love. They, okay. <laughs> you know, or I'm not, excuse me. I said it wrong. I just want to have a baby to love me. Excuse mm-hmm. me. That's what I meant. And I'm like, Ugh. That two-year-old is not Yikes. there to love you at two in the morning. They are there to scream <laughs> until your ear, your ears burst. And um, gosh, you know, um, I mean, kids, kids are a joy. I think we, I think we should have them. Um, and just so you know, this is actually, it, it's interesting that you bring this up. All Western countries, including Japan, are struggling because people aren't having kids. Mm-hmm. People, so you want to get to the root of our immigration problem? Here's the problem. Western powers do not produce children at a rate that is high enough to meet their needs. So what we've mm-hmm. done is we have incorporated impoverished countries to meet the demands and the needs that we, it, mm-hmm. it's, see, and it's just, it's a, this whole cycle. So Western people, right? We want to have our 2.1 kids or 1.4 kids. And we got to have that, you know, mm-hmm. we got to have everything in place because kids are a disturbance to the Western mindset of life. Totally. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know that, the American dream is God's dream for your life. It may be a nightmare. And so, you know, we need to look at, you know, kind of the Eastern culture of family first. It's not as productive. It's not. You don't get as much stuff done. You mm-hmm. don't have all the amenities that we have in America and in Western Europe and Japan. But Japan is literally dying. They don't allow any immigration. Did you know that? Japan does not allow immigration. Oh, I didn't know that. From any country. Hmm. They're dying. They're actually trying to invent robots to care for old people and they're creating little babies so that old people can hold them because young Japanese people are having so few children mm-hmm. because of what you said. Mm-hmm. They're an in they're What did you say? They're a, Oh, cramping my style. Cramping your style. Yeah. That's what kids do. Mm-hmm. Kids cramp your style. Yep. Tammy and I giggle when we go out now. We're like, Oh my gosh, yeah, nobody peed or pooped or, <laughs> yeah. you know, nobody, no, it's just incredible. It's just incredible. You know, Tammy and I, we went, um, uh, to Hawaii for our, um, 21st, uh, yeah, 21st anniversary this last week. And, um, we actually rented a room just for us on the beach and it was affordable because I didn't need like multiple rooms. You know, we've <laughs> never been able to do that. We rented for the first time in 20 years. Elena's going to love this. An economy car. Oh, yeah. I couldn't believe it. It was like $4 a day. I'm like, oh my gosh. Because we're, we're always at the rent a minivan, which is like $10,000 a day. I was like, oh my gosh. So now I'll know how Stephanie's going to feel in a couple months. It's like everything's so cheap. You just have to buy two. That will be nice. So yeah. So that's what kids are, man. But they're, man, you know, I, I tell you this. On the other side, those of you parents that are ready to jump off a cliff, listen, it gets better, man. I have a I have a 19 and a 20 year old, and I really enjoy them. I'm enjoying them more and more, and 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 some of that's because they leave and they come back and they leave and they come <laughs> back, and that's really really nice. But when you're like where you are, where you're 24 seven constantly, um, you know, when I was when I was Justin's, uh, what would you call it? not level of parenting, yeah, but, stage, um, stage of life. stage of stage of life, you could have broken into my house and robbed someone in the middle of the night, and I would have no idea. Because every night someone fell, something broke, oh, yeah. somebody was screaming. Like, I don't know the difference between my child being murdered in the room next door and they had a bad dream. It sounds the same. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I literally, we did not sleep, no. like sleep, like go to bed and wake up eight hours later for like 
12 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like prison in our own house. <laughs> it was scary, man. I remember my son used to have nightmares and he would run and into the wall. Like you just hear, you just hear, <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> I'm like, bro, it's the same house. It's the same left turn. It's the same left turn every time. But he's out running some monster in his brain. Just like, boom, hit the wall. And then, you know, you have to get up and take care of him and clean up the blood or whatever yeah, else. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. Oh. So, sorry, all yeah. you, all the single people are like, I am never having children. You need to have children because oh, yeah. I need somebody to take care of me when I'm old. That was actually be my question to just sort of for those of us, right? So I'm engaged, going to get married soon. We're sort of having conversations of when are we going to have kids? I have, I know a lot of friends who have young kids. So I'm sort of in the, oh my gosh, kids. Having well, you kids see Justin's really kids. Yeah. Justin's kids is like the jungle book, man. <laughs> That's so true. So how do those of us maybe who are, you know, especially like of the millennial generation too, how do you balance fighting against the not wanting to be inconvenienced by having kids and having the wise, like what's going to be best for our family and our time. Like how do you balance that out of knowing what to do with having kids? And Yeah. So theologically, I do not believe uh, that there's any biblical mandate to have children. I think the Bible said be multi- be fruitful and multiply. Well done, human race. I think, we've, <laughs> <laughs> I think we could check that one off the list, right? I mean, you know, there's more people alive right now than in all of human history combined. So there's enough people. So I think, it, you know, are you called to have children? I, I don't think that you need to have children, especially like if you're considering to be one of our missionaries to India, I think it's going to vastly help your ministry if you don't have kids. You mm-hmm. and I have been to Mumbai. You've been to India yep. as well. Man, kids, that's, that would scare me to death to be in that city, mm-hmm. in that country with kids because it's just not safe, man. It's just, you know, I, it, so anyway, so I, I think that it's okay to say we're not going to have kids because we want to serve God. Um, and so every time, you know, Paul says, I wish they're all were all as I am, that's single. You have mm-hmm. the most time and the most capacity to serve God as a single person. You just do. That's the reality. When you get married, that time is now split with your spouse's time. You know, when you get married, you know, Tyler, you're not going to have the capacity to be available like Stephanie has been for the last five years. That's the reality. Um, and we know that that's part of why we've kind of adjusted your job a little bit. That's the reality. You have kids, there's less. You have another kid, there's even less. You have three, you have four, you have five. What's that family on TV? The Duggars. Oh, the, yeah. The they have like 17 or 15. Like 21, I think. 20, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that. So we... we, we we got on the shuttle to go to LAX from from uh, the hotel. We got on the shuttle. It's a 21-passenger shuttle. It was Tammy and I and one family. Oh, boy. Whoa. <laughs> Crazy. One. Like parents like, and kids? Well, That's it, it was grandma, grandpa, okay. husband, wife, and 10 kids. Wow. And I would yeah. say the oldest was like probably 17, 16, mm-hmm. and then the youngest was probably two. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, A, I was thinking, how do you afford vacation? And, oh yeah, oh, that's man. what I. They were wondered. going to the same place we were. I was just like, yeah, oh, how do you do that? My gosh. Oh yeah. Everything was named. Every backpack had a name on it. It was hilarious. <laughs> it's like you got to have that, man. So yeah. So what was your question? I got lost with the. Debtors. How do we kind of start or balance not being selfish, right? Not wanting to be inconvenienced yeah. by kids. Pray cause... about it. And, and also understand your own capacity. You know, some some women, man, they can handle eight kids and it's no problem. I didn't marry that woman. That's not who Tammy <laughs> is. You know, and so um, three was as many as we can handle. You know, Justin's talking about five because he wants Agabus or whatever it is. And that's just, that's just them, you know, and just know it's going to be a different lifestyle. You know, if you're going to have that many kids, you're probably not going to Hawaii. You know, you're going to do a lot of camping, you know, or, or whatever it is that you're into. And that's okay. So to just pray about it, have that open, honest conversation and, you know, just, just know, um, have it before you get married. You know, do you want kids? Cause how do you compromise between one and zero? 
Like I want one kid, I want no kids. Like that's that's a great conversation to have before you get married. So so I, I would just say, you know, for you guys, you know, I hope you get a little bit of time to enjoy each other, but you know, I mean we had Madison before the end of our first year married. So that's why we were kind of working. But the advantage of that is we are enjoying, you know, not kids and we're pretty young. So like when I That told, was how we made our decision about uh fourth or fifth or a fifth potential fifth. We just was like Doing, looking down the road, figuring out where we wanted to be at a certain point of life. I do said, think it's easier to raise kids when you're younger because oh yeah, because you you can just do more. There's a reality. I'm 45, or I like to say halfway to 90. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's just it's a, it's it's different. I mean, it just is. It's just totally different. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I'm glad that we had them young. Well, yeah, my first kid well, that would keep us up all, all in the middle of the night. I was still in my 20s. And now my second one, I'm in my mid-30s. And I'm like, this is way different. <laughs> Even it's not that long. Yeah. But, oh, boy. Oh well, boy. and every kid's different, man. Okay, we have one last question from Kimberly before uh, we call this one a show. She says, I have a 14-year-old son who's a good kid but struggling with bad choices and friends. Mm. The last few weeks, he's been in some trouble due to his bad choices. He's been very angry and not wanting to go to church. We've never had this be an issue before, but my rule is we all go to church every Sunday. Will forcing him to go just make it worse? No, man. There's some things that you got to force your kids to do, and one of those things to me is church. Um, and and here, here's the reality is he's sinned, he's unrepentant, and and that's the big issue. I mean, as a parent, that's what I would say to, him, to say is, look, look, there's what you did, and then there's how you feel about what you did. We all make mistakes. We all make bad choices. The thing that bothers me the most is your unrepentant heart. Because what he's doing is he's punishing his mom. So he screwed up. He's been an idiot. He got busted. He's got a loving mom who's investing in him. And now he's going to punish her because um, of him. And so I don't know if a dad's in the picture, but I think you need to have dad involved. Um, even if dad's maybe not out and just say, hey, can you throw me a bone and help enforce this? This is something that I want to do. And and again, you know, I mean, this is why you need to go to church so that you can make good choices, make better friends and have a better life. And, and, and just know, you know, the life of sin, the life of doing what you want to do is a life that leads to East of Eden, Genesis four. It's not where you want to be. It is dangerous and, and, and things just happen. And, uh, so I, yeah, I would absolutely, uh, make him come, um, you know, um, and, and, you know, but encourage him. So, you know, thank you for coming today. Thank you for not being a jerk today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for taking notes. Uh, you know, try to find ways to, you know, be positive about him and bring him back into good graces. But the bottom line is, here's what you have to teach your kids, that you're going to win. And that's what I tell my kids all the time. I'm like, you can struggle all day long. I am going to win. I'm an Iron Man. I can yeah. endure the pain. <laughs> and I can, man. I'm telling you, I can hurt longer than you can. That's what I tell them. So... So do what you got to do. Um, and, and that's my job as a parent. And I'm so grateful, you know, I was such a tough kid to my parents. And, you know, my parents weren't perfect, um, but they were good parents and they were loving parents. And, but the one thing that I take away from my childhood is when my parents said something was going to happen, man, it happened. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember I got a D in high school in computers, which, you know, I'm not good at computers. She's laughing. You're good at so I, many dude, things. Dude, I got a D in computers. It was on my final. It didn't work. The program, whatever, you know, um, all the nerdy kids were like, <laughs> and so I got a D. My mom told me, if you get a D, you're going to go to work with me every day for the summer. Oh, boy. Every freaking day. And you did? Yeah. What was I going to do? Wow. So that's it. Here's the other thing. Parents, you have way more power than you. This, parents are always like, what am I going to do? I'm like, you got all the money. You got every. What does your kid have? Mm-hmm. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. What? 
I could take away every single thing from my kids. What are they going to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go live with their friends. That'll be fun for a week. Yeah, have fun. <laughs> until you tick them off because you're an idiot. And then what are you going to do? Right? I mean, you, here's the thing is, crack your kids early and often <laughs> so that... Uh, when they're yeah, older, yeah. they know. Yeah. Like my, my 20-year-old said this the other day. She's like, I'm still afraid of you, Dad. I'm like, I did my job. <laughs> my 20-year-old is afraid of disappointing me or having to deal with me. And I think that's good because she still respects me. But I but I was intense early and often. And I get these, these parents, well, I don't know. My kid's 20 years old. I'm like, well, who pays their car payment? Who pays their phone payment? Who pays their food bill? Who does this? What do you mean you don't know what you're going to do? Cut the funds. And so I tell my kids all the time, this is what I say. I don't finance sin. I don't. You want to go sin? Enjoy. Go. Bye. I'm, and just so you know, not only that, but your inheritance, gone. Yeah. Gone. I'm not giving it to you. I'm not. So, you know, it's your, it's your life? Okay. Mm-hmm. But because it looks like it's my life a little bit because it's my money yeah. that's yeah. funding your life. <laughs> right, right. You know, it's like tattoos. My kids want to get a tattoo. I was like, well, when you get a tattoo, that means you have extra money. So you can do that, right? And, all, and again, I'm not against tattoos. I just think when you're young, they're permanent. You know, you should think about it. Think, go color your hair. That's what I say. <laughs> go color your hair. Oh you my know, goodness. if you're 30 and you want to get tatted up, great. But dude, do you know what I would have on my body? I literally was I sitting I in a see. chair when I was in the military. I was sitting in the chair and I was going to get a skull on my arm vomiting corpses and it oh, was going to say, you had. and it was going to, it was going to say something like army forever. <laughs> I guess I was in the army and I don't know, man. My mom said, my mom said, if you get a tattoo, I won't help you pay for college. And I went back to every day at school with her during the summer. My mom was a teacher. She taught fourth grade. I was in high school in fourth grade for the whole summer of 1988. That's crazy. It was horrible, dude. <laughs> this is horrible. So I didn't get a tattoo and I'm so grateful because you, can you imagine why is your pastor? Why is your pastor have a tattoo of a skull vomiting corpses? He loves Army he forever, loves Revelation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Michelle, we did not answer your question specifically, but I'm I feel like Pastor Matt just did answer it. So hopefully, hopefully that one helped. That <laughs> and was a, tattoo that was a people, doozy. I love you guys. It's just not for me. Thank and you my very kids, much. my kids Thank can you. get I it. Receive your love. My kids can get it when they're a little older. But go. I want them to have you know some discernment before they get Minnie Mouse. On their I don't face, think or either something. your kids are going to get Minnie Mouse on their face. I think he was talking to me. Oh, <laughs> you well, no, but for you, you for you that makes sense because, like, I worship Jesus, you worship Minnie Mouse. I just like happiness. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's a good show, guys. That was a big one, long one, but that's because parenting is hard, mm-hmm. and so is answering tough questions about it. <laughs> you want to learn some Christianese, Pastor Matt? Hold on, we got a bunch of stuff before we close oh, the show, Stephanie. Oh, I'm sorry, I got excited. You were looking at me like I wasn't doing my part. Because you're supposed to tell everyone, where do they go to get all the oh, resources from well, the show? Well, if you would like to get all the resources from this show, we're also <sighs> starting to build our, our show notes a lot more. So exactly. if you want to yeah. you know, find places where you can see a quick little summary of every single thing we've talked about on the episode, check out debrief.show slash 57. We're constantly updating those pages, adding more and more great resources. And we would love for you to go and links check those out. Links to the books, out. all that kind links of stuff. Links to the books, links to any sermons that we talked about, any verses that we talked about are all there on the show notes. Just go to debrief.show show slash 57. And of course, if you want to support Sandals Church and help us make this show and future podcasts and all that other kind of stuff a reality, we're so grateful for those of you that do, especially those of you guys who do not attend Sandals Church but love the debrief. You can help us out. And if uh, you would uh, make a donation, we would be super grateful. Even a dollar for the episode is super helpful when all those uh, you awesome listeners come together, support the show, 
put it together. You can make it happen. Uh, all you got to do is text give debrief. That's give debrief two separate words to 951-900-4120. And uh, we appreciate it. All right, let's close it out. Let's learn some Christianese with some stuff Christians say. Learning Christianese, I think I'm learning Christianese. I really think so. Learning Christianese, I think I'm learning Christianese. I really think so. Wow. I love I that song. We have a great new little Learning Christianese video. For those of you who have not yet checked us out on YouTube, you might want to go take a peek over there and I check totally out. I totally forgot we were live. Sorry, guys. Oh, I like checked out. <laughs> that's okay. I don't Here know where I went. You went, you went we into go. parenting zone. You were. Yeah, exactly. You became like dad Matt, and it was a little... Speak, you know what no, you that was, that was, looked like he was having a quiet time. No, you know what it was? That was time change week. Moment. Oh, tell me Good. about it, dude. And you, time okay, change, time you know, travel. Do you know the history of time change, by the way? You know what? I don't. It has nothing to do with farming. They did it during World War II to save energy. And they've proven now that it doesn't save any energy. Oh, can we, can we give it up then? Because it was Seriously, rough. Seriously, it's horrible. Come on, Donald Trump. Do something. <laughs> All right. Going back to learning Christianese. Uh, Pastor Matt, what do Christians mean when they say quiet time? Like, oh, I was just in my quiet time. That's what I just morning. was doing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, exactly. I was having a quiet time. Yeah, that's something parents don't understand too either. Always have a quiet time with the Lord at uh, four in the morning. Nope. They're still awake. Yeah. I don't know why they call it quiet time because I'm, I'm a talker. So like when I'm spending time with God, I'm talking out you loud. You hold on. Wow. In your in your quiet time, I you talk, talk out loud? I do. My kids think it's the weirdest thing. That is really I don't think it's just your kids. I'm a, hey, That's weird. You better watch it right now. <laughs> wow. Somebody's going to have a quiet time and think about what they did. <laughs> oh apparently, apparently. No, I, I'm, a, I'm a verbal processor. I talk out loud. I talk. My wife cracks. Like I get in the tub on uh, Saturdays uh, before church and I talk and I'm in the tub and I'm running through my message. I've, I've always been that way. I, I'm a I'm verbal processor. Like when people think in their heads, I think in my mouth. So I'm just like, blah, blah, blah. so yeah. So quiet time means to go get away and be quiet with God. And it comes from Psalms 4610, be still and know that I am God. So there is a time where we need to sit and be still and acknowledge God's presence. And so that's where the term comes from. It means to be still, to be quiet, uh, to reflect, to think, to meditate. And so I think that's really important in our world today because there's never any quiet. Like we don't know how to handle quiet anymore. And uh, um, man, real quickly, uh, it wasn't a quiet time, but Tammy and I got a place and um, Air- Airbnb oh, yeah, man, yeah. is awesome. So we got this place for like a hundred bucks a night and it was on the ocean. I mean, we're, it was it was so close to the ocean, I couldn't sleep because the waves were so loud crashing. And I just sat on, on, the, uh, on the porch overlooking the ocean and it was a full moon. Mm. And so it was just moonlight and the waves were hitting. And I just sat there and I just said, God, you're just a beautiful God. It's just so amazing. And so- I was quiet. There was there. There are moments where there's nothing to say. You just sit and absorb God's presence. But for a talker like myself, <laughs> those moments are few and far between. But um, yeah, that's what it means. It means time with God. Psalms forty six ten. Be still and know that I am God. I have nothing to say. I'm just sitting oh, here absorbing yeah, I was God's presence. Just be quiet. 